we are nearing the end of what has been a um, uh, many, many months, uh, nine or so months uh, through the book of Acts. And uh, we are in the final chapters. And so you can open up your Bible to Acts chapter uh, 27. And uh, we are um, going to be wrapping everything up next week. As you're turning there, um, I think many of you experienced uh, the same uh, thing I experienced this week. We had some pretty good storms. Um, I don't know your perspective or feelings on storms. In my house, when a storm rolls in, um, uh, we get pretty excited about them. Uh, we enjoy watching them, and um, especially if it's like kind of in the evening time, you know, you're heading to bed, you sort of just get lulled to sleep or, or some of that. But um, that's not always the case. I think storms can present for us um, just a variety of uh, experiences based on the situation that you're experiencing them in. Uh, for example, um, you know, I've experienced some storms that are fun and some that are not so fun. Uh, I loved, and, and uh, my wife and I used to do a lot more of it. Um, we uh, have not kind of um, taken the full crew uh, yet, but we used to do a lot more camping. And um, some of you wouldn't be caught dead like camping. Um, that's like the, the last thing or last place that you would ever want to be. Uh, but if you've ever gone camping, um, uh, one thing that will make it miserable is uh, a storm. If you've ever experienced a rainstorm, thunderstorm sort of thing, when you're just in a tent and you've got like you and that little piece of, of uh, nylon or whatever that thing is um, between you and rain, it is not a great, a great spot. Um, even if you have a really good tent, it's still um, quite uh, uh, the added adventure to it, right? Um, uh, my uh, um, family, we had a uh, home down in North Carolina that had some really bad water drainage issues, and um, that was always a struggle. Every time that the storm would roll in, uh, we would get pretty nervous and, and kind of scared about um, the basement because uh, we were getting water consistently. Every time it rained, didn't even have to be a big rain, uh, we would get water in our our basement. It took us a little bit to kind of get it solved and kind of fix the, you know, the slope and the drainage and kind of the downspouts and all of that. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, every time it rained, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be up all night. I'm going to be trying to, you know, I'd wait and sure enough, water starts coming in and I'm, you know, get the shop vac out and kind of get fans on it. We're trying to keep it all dry. And so very much less fun to be in a storm uh, in that place. Um, you know, there is, uh, I think, you know, if you're, if you're experiencing a storm, uh, to be in, home, in, in your home with nowhere to go, um, if it's a home that's, that's sturdy, that's protected, that's uh, warm, that doesn't have water, I mean, it's a very, very different experience. Uh, what we're going to see this morning is uh, Paul, uh, who we've been following for some time, um, kind of encounter yet another difficult situation. I think these last several chapters could be um, kind of subtitled The Sufferings of Paul, because we've just seen him obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And today, uh, what Paul experiences is a storm. And the place that he's at is on a ship. Uh, we, he's been um, moving and kind of getting uh, ready to go uh, for some time and, and been talking about going to Rome. Well, he is now on a ship heading toward Rome and a storm comes upon uh, the crew and the ship that he is in. And it causes uh, for not just Paul, but everyone aboard, um, quite a level of difficulty and obstacle for them to um, overcome. More than that, I mean, their lives, their very lives were in danger. Uh, they were fearful for, uh, for their life. And so what we're going to see this morning, I think, um, you know, at first glance or at first read, you sort of have this, this um, uh, kind of transitional chapter where it's like Paul is 
going from Jerusalem to Rome. There's the storm uh, yet again. This is actually shipwreck, if you're keeping track, number four in Paul's life. He talks about three in the book of uh, Corinthians, which he wrote before this. And so um, this is now number four. And, uh, and here we have what I think is for us, as the book is wrapping up, just this great little window into the presence of God in the midst of storms. You know, storms, uh, we often use as a metaphor. Um, uh, storms, I think, in Scripture, we can see this is a very real storm. It wasn't a metaphorical storm. It was a, it was a very windy, loud, dangerous storm. But I think we experience storms in our life if we're kind of using that language, right? Some of you are in a storm right now. Uh, storms are not always physical. Sometimes they're uh, emotional. Sometimes uh, storms um, can be uh, sort of circumstantial. Um, and we've said many times before, I, I think I've said, um, and just to make sure that you, you uh, know this about me, I'm kind of fed up with uh, just the news in general right now. I mean, I'm just hopeful every time I, I you know, get on my phone and, and, and read, read the headlines, and I'm like, maybe, maybe everything you know, kind of turned the corner. Maybe everything's like looking better uh, today. And so I open it up, and I start scrolling, and it's like, nope, 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 right? It's just like, it's depressing. There is nothing good happening. It is all negative, all bad. Everything's crashing. Everything's on fire. Everything's like, and it just seems like it is just one thing after another right now. And that's not the things just out there. I mean, we experience it. We're, we're experiencing some of this. And so I think what this has for us is it says and kind of answers the question, where is God in the midst of the storm. And um, I like to do this, um, you know, not every week, but, but often as we walk through a passage of scripture, I think it's helpful to um, sort of give the big idea of where we're going and what we're going to see from the scripture this morning. So let me do that. Um, first, the, we're calling this, uh, the passage this morning, not a hair from your head, uh, which you're going to see um, is going to kind of come, uh, uh, is going to come to light as we walk our way through the passage. But the big idea is this, is that all things are not good, but God works in all things for good. All things are not good, but God works in all things for good. We are going to see this in clear detail in the life of Paul uh, this morning, and I think it's going to be helpful for us as we seek and as we experience weather storms uh, in our own life um, I think, uh, I think God has something for us this morning. So to that end, let's just ask him to teach us now as we walk our way through um, this passage of scripture together. God, we come before you and we're grateful for the wisdom that we find in your word. Lord, the truth uh, that it is, the truth that you have for us. Uh, God, we acknowledge and um, God, we wanna declare that, that your word is truth. It doesn't just contain truth, God, it is truth. Uh, but Lord, you have some truth for us this morning, and we want to hear it. We want to, um, God, apply it. Uh, we want to be changed by it. And so all of that, God, we ask that you would do. Would your spirit uh, move in our hearts now? Teach us from your word. We ask you, uh, you to do this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, let's jump into it and see how this uh, truth is going to play out um, for us here um, beginning in, in chapter 27 in verse 1, uh, they uh, set sail uh, for Italy. Notice it says, um, Acts 27, verse 1, when it was decided we should set sail for, we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Um, 
So they are finally going to begin the journey to Italy. If you were with us last week, you know that Paul was under trial or on trial. He appealed to Caesar. And so he gets his day in court. He gets a fair trial before Caesar. To do that, he's put on a ship and taken to Rome. Now, this is a big journey. This is not something they didn't have. They don't have the technology that we have today. Um, that's not like an overnight type thing. It's not you know one layover um, on the way and kind of you know a couple hours um, stopping over. It is a many month uh, journey. And so they're beginning their journey. And notice, you guys are all Acts scholars by now. We've been in the book of Acts for some time. Hopefully, you know what it means when that word we is used. Did you see it there? When it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners over. What does we mean? Well, it means that Luke is there with Paul, and he's on the ship, and he's headed for Italy with him, right? Luke is the author of Acts. There's been times when we've seen that we come and go, and so Luke is right there and he's heading to it. Let me summarize the uh, next few verses because it kind of just has a lot of names and islands and different places that are gonna happen. Um, Basically, they set sail and it's a little more difficult than they intended. It says it several times that they encountered wind, that they sailed slowly for a number of days. They arrived with difficulty. The wind did not allow us to go further. Uh, We sailed under the lee of Crete, um, coasting along with difficulty, verse 8, it says. We came to a place called Fair Havens, uh, near which was the city of Lisa. And here is where they determined that they are not on schedule. It's taking them longer than they had hoped. Uh, It's been a more difficult journey than they intended. And so at this point, they're trying to plan out the rest of the trip because they need to winter somewhere. Uh, They can't sail through the winter. They have to uh, be in a port. They gotta be in a safe harbor somewhere. And now they're like, how are we gonna get there to where we need to go? And so verse nine is where we kind of pick it up. It says, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, which... You know, if you knew anything about sailing, you would have known, oh yeah, you don't do it after the fast, the day of atonement. You, you need to get your trip in before that. Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul is warning them about the danger ahead. But the centurion, um, he was the guy in charge, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Now, in fairness, I think that kind of makes sense. Like if it's, you know, this preacher guy (laughs) or the owner of the ship and the pilot, and uh, they're saying, hey, this is what we need to do. And the preacher guy's saying, I don't think we should. You know, I think it's kind of like, oh man, I think I'm gonna go with the guy that, you know, went to school and has spent his whole life on the sea and and some of this. So in some ways you kind of get it, but Paul has this understanding of what is waiting them. He's gonna wish he listened to the preacher guy. Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So everyone's kind of voicing. They're like, no, we shouldn't stay here. We need to go. Uh, We think we can make it to Crete and that's gonna be a better spot for us to winter. And so against the judgment and kind of instruction of Paul, they set out and go. And it starts out okay. Verse 13, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. It's going okay, but then things change. Verse 14, but soon a tempestuous wind called the nor'easter struck down from the land. 
And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. This is where I think Luke sort of geeks out throughout this chapter on some of the nautical speak. So if you're into that, like if you like that, you're into ships and, and, um, and, and all of that, this is your week, okay? This is your Sunday. You, you picked a good one. Uh, verse 17, after hosting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on Cyrus, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. They were violently storm-tossed. They began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So they didn't lose it by choice. They're like, we got to abandon even the tackle. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay upon us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All right, so hopefully what we're getting and seeing from this, this was not just a small storm. This was a storm for days. They hadn't seen the sun, hadn't seen the stars. It is not breaking. They are losing cargo. They're throwing off their tar- tackle. They have little way of now, you know, uh, that's a food source for them. Um, on their journey, they are in trouble. And here's where we're gonna see, and we need to understand this first point. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. Broken things act broken. I think what we're seeing right here at the beginning is something that's broken acting like it's broken. I have no idea if the adverb is actually, should be brokenly. If you're a a grammar nerd, you can correct me um, later. I say that in the most loving of ways. Um, I actually can geek out on some grammar as well. Um, But here's the thing is things are not going (laughs) as they hoped, right? They hoped, they thought they were gonna be able to make it to the island of Crete. They wanted to get to this place of harbor. And sure enough, what happens? A storm, which are not uncommon, right? This isn't, this isn't something that's never happened before. Uh, there's a reason why they were trying to do it. There's a reason why Paul was warning. There's a reason why they were, um, on, it says on chance, somehow they could reach it. They were hoping against all odds that it wouldn't go the way that it, they thought it could. And here we have a perfect picture of the world, which is broken, acting like it is broken. And here's where I think, and why I think this is a helpful point. Some of you are like, duh, like, of course, broken things act broken. But it's not always a duh for us, because I think sometimes we expect or we just desire that broken things are going to fix themselves, right? Or that they won't still act like they're broken, I've shared before that my family, we just moved into a new home. If you've ever moved into a new home, you know that there's a handful of things that need to be addressed when you move into a new home. There's like some broken things that either the previous family was just kind of living with or didn't notice, or in this market, you don't really didn't care. Like you don't have to do anything if if you're selling your home. And so there's a drain in one of our bathrooms, which is very slow moving. And, um, you know, it doesn't take long. You turn on that water and like instantly it just starts kind of filling up and then just takes its sweet time to drain back down. Have you experienced that? And so I did, you know, what, uh, you know, any dad kind of wanting to make a quick, quick work of the project would do. I bought some Drano and uh, poured that in and just hoped that that little, you know, magic gel was going to work its, um, work its, uh, its magic and, um, you know, just kind of take care of the problem. And it helped, but it definitely didn't fix it. So we still have, after the Drano and everything, it's still kind of turn on the water, it sort of fills back up and drains very slowly. 
And so where we're at now is I'm pretty convinced I got to change out the P-trap um, and I've already bought one. I know how to do that. Um, so it's, it's a matter of I have the supplies. Um, I have the, the know-how of how to do it. I just haven't quite made the time yet to do it. But every time I sort of hope like as I turn on the water, that maybe, just maybe, it decided to just kind of clear out itself. Have you ever done that? You're like, maybe it's just kind of, you know, fixed itself. And so, but every time I'm disappointed because I turn on the water and it begins to fill up and it has not fixed itself. The broken drain is still acting like it is broken. See, the reality is this, is that even as simple as a point that is, I think many of us assume or kind of just think that sometimes broken things are going to just kind of magically write themselves. They're going to fix on their own. That relationship that is broken is going to just get better with time. That sin, that prevailing sin that continues to uh, plague and to be a nuisance or, or even a destruction in your life is just going to go away. Uh, that there's that a pain which is just going to, with enough time, heal itself. It's gonna scab over, maybe it scars, but it's just going to go away. And the reality is this, is that we live in a broken world and it acts like it is broken. I think why that's a helpful point for us to understand is sometimes we are surprised when our world acts broken. But the reality is this, is that the Bible records for us many, many, many examples of the brokenness which is contained in our world. And I would say this, that the Bible never tries to candy coat any of the brokenness. It doesn't try to explain it away it doesn't try to call it something that it isn't. In fact, what we see throughout Scripture is there are very tragic situations which are recorded. I mean, there are heartbreaking things in these pages. I mean, we read stories of betrayal, of murder, of rape, of incest, of nations acting like unrighteously toward others. I mean, there is all sorts of Tragic things that are filled in these pages that we have for us in Scripture. There are things and examples of brokenness. I think some people get really turned off by that because they're like, well, why is that in there? And I would just say this, is that Scripture is never trying to glorify. It's never trying to entertain with it. It's not putting it in there for shock value. Rather, what it's recording is just the accurate facts of what transpired and what happened the Bible contains for us, it acknowledges the reality of the brokenness of this world that we live in. We don't have to look to the Bible just to see tragic things. We know of tragic things that have happened around our world in the past. Recently, um, some of my kids have been learning about and have learned about the Holocaust. I don't know if you remember when you first learned or heard about the Holocaust. I mean, millions and millions of Jews, mass murdered, I mean, I've been to Auschwitz. I've walked into the gas chambers. I've seen it there. I've visited the um, Holocaust Museum in Israel. It is tragic to look at and see what one person or what people could do to other people and to see some of the tragedy that have plagued our world. We don't have to leave our country to find our own tragedy, right? Today's not just Father's Day, today is a newly or recently recognized national holiday that is called Juneteenth. And what Juneteenth 
commemorates is the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. I mean, here in our own country, we have a history and kind of a mar of slavery based on race. And it is tragic. We don't have to look far to see the tragedy around us. We have tragedy in our own stories, our own families. Many of you could share, have shared stories of grave sin that has been done to you. I mean, it's not lost on me that this is Father's Day, a day that we honor and we celebrate dads. Yet, if we were to go around the room, there are several that I'm sure could share the story of how their dad missed the mark and was not the dad that he was supposed to be. That's not all dads, but there are dads that have abused, whether emotionally, physically, sexually, And the reality is, is that we live in a world that is broken. There is tragedy all around us. And listen, church, it does not do us any good to hope or just think or wish that the world was different than it is. I think we have to begin with this point and acknowledge that our world is broken and it's going to act like it's broken. And scripture, again, does never excuses it. It never tries to call it good. And it doesn't think that it's any different than that. There is tragedy around us. And I think it's helpful for us to remember where the brokenness came from. God, when he made the world, when he created the world, he made it with order. It was given with a purpose and with structure. When God stepped back from the world he created, he said, it is good. When he looked at man and woman that he had created, he said, it is very good. When God created, he created good things. But yet, what happened? Sin entered the world by the choices of man and woman, and everything, everything is broken. Not just our hearts, not just who we are, but creation itself. It says moans and groans. It is marred. And so, here we arrive in Acts chapter 27, and we see Paul on his journey to Rome, and he encounters a storm. If you trace it all the way back, that storm is a direct result of the sin entering the world. It's a broken world, and it's doing broken things. And listen, God is more bothered, and he is more heartbroken, and he has been more offended, right? His righteousness has been attacked in this, and it has affected everything. All of creation has been affected by sin. And so God saw fit not to leave it that way, but entered into a plan to redeem and to make new and to heal and to restore. And that is what he is doing here. But I think before we can get to any of that, we have to acknowledge and the reality is this. And I see and, and, and I know that many of you, as I'm saying these things, it's bringing Difficult, painful memories, things that, again, we try to bury, we try not to think about. But the reality is our world is broken. But, but there's hope in the brokenness. Let's continue on and see what comes next. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. 
Uh, it's a little bit of a dig. That's an easy thing to say now, Paul, but you're right. We should have. Uh, verse 22, yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said this, he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that he, it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Here's the reality that we see in this is that Broken things act broken, but here's the second thing, write this down. God is still present in the brokenness. This is what I was referring to when I said that there's a window here of God's presence in the midst of storms. Here you have the reality of a storm which has struck and kind of come upon Paul and the entire crew, and yet you have this picture of God present in the midst of the storm. Now notice what he's not saying. Notice what the angel said is, hey, it's not really that bad. Right? Or actually, this is a really good thing which is happening to you. This is, this is an enjoyable experience. You should, you should be just fine with this. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this is going to be difficult. Like you're going to lose the ship. There's going to be reason to be afraid. But what I'm saying to you is not to be afraid because here's what God is saying is that I'm going to take you all the way to Caesar. Not just you, but all who are with you will be protected. And so... The encouragement from Paul is to take heart, have faith in this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, the God who Paul worships. He's saying, take heart, have faith in this God. It will happen just as I have been told. But we are gonna experience some difficulty. We're gonna run aground on some island. And what we have here, again, is a brilliant picture of God's presence in the midst of brokenness. And the reality is, is that God is right there in the midst of it. And this is what doesn't happen, is that God doesn't take the storm away. He doesn't stop it. Rather, he meets them and joins them in the storm. He's not stopping it, but he's working in it. And can we just be honest this morning? I think we would rather, or we would prefer that God would go ahead and stop it right? Like, if I'm on that ship, wouldn't we just say, hey, God, like, here's an idea, <laughs> just workshopping this out, you know, can I just kind of talk this out with you? How about we don't do any of that crash on the island thing, and we just stay on this ship, which seems to be working just fine, and why don't you just take us to Crete on this ship? How about that? Right? Like, isn't that sort of our thing? We would say, hey, isn't, isn't, isn't there a different way? Can't we do it a different way? Can't, can't, can't this happen differently? This is so many times, I think, what we desire of God is that we would prefer it to happen differently. And maybe, maybe it doesn't happen that way. Or maybe it's like, well, could you just, okay. Okay, so it's not gonna happen that way. Could we maybe speed up the timeline then? I'm okay with this going on, but I've got like about a week or two left in me or I've got a few more months, or I certainly can't do a few years, and that's where we sort of get tripped up, is in the timeline. We desire and we want for it to happen soon and quickly and now. And what God is doing here is he's like, no, you're going to walk through this. Here's the encouragement that scripture has for us today, church. 
is that even though I think many times we would prefer for God to stop it, he and his divine working and his perfect understanding often chooses not to, but rather enters into it with us. God is present with Paul in the storm. And maybe for some of you, that's the truth that you need to hear this morning. Maybe you didn't even know that you needed to hear it this morning, but you need to hear this, is that that storm that you're in, even though, yes, you would prefer it to be stopped, or yes, you'd prefer the fast-forward button to be pressed, you need to hear that God is with you in the storm. And there's some promises that he's made to you. And there's some guarantees that he's given you. And I don't think, again, I don't think it's helpful for us to ignore the brokenness and to try and explain it away. I don't think it's also helpful for us to pretend that we don't wish it wasn't different. I think for many of us, we do. And this is, for many people, the tripping point. This is where people get tripped up. They're like, well, if God's all powerful and he's all good, why doesn't he just change it? And I wish, I wish that as a pastor that I had the verse to take you to or I had the like magic words to be able to tell you this morning of exactly why that is. And the reality is, is that I don't have that. We don't get that from God. What we get though, is that God has the perfect vantage point, that he sees all things perfectly, that he is working in all things and he asks us to trust him in that. I was speaking with somebody about the passage this week and they referenced you know, something that I think it was John Piper that said, you know, we get just a glimpse of what God is doing in the midst of our situations. We're sort of privy to about two or three, maybe four or five things that God is doing when he is working thousands of things out all at the same time. And so from our vantage point with those two or three things that we see, we're like, man, it would be really cool if it kind of worked out this way or could do this. And God's like, listen, there is so much more at play here. There is so much more that's happening And he's asking us to trust him in the midst of that. And I don't think we always get to see this side of eternity, why or what we're walking through and why God is, or the way that God is using it. I heard a pastor recently speaking about uh, Job. And if you know the story of Job, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's difficult to read because what you see is Satan comes before God and, and asks permission for him to uh, kind of attack Job and God gives him permission. And so Job's life is under attack. And what you have is uh, Job, the book of Job records his working out of this trial and this difficulty. I mean, it is, it is tragic what he walks through. But if you make it through the end, I mean, it's a slog. It's a, it's a heavy, long book. But if you make it through, what you see at the end of the book of Job is you see Job getting to the place that God is good, that he's in control, and you see this right submission to him in the midst of difficulty. And the pastor that I heard pointed out, he's like, you know what, maybe one of the byproducts of of Job's situation is that millions and millions literally have been helped and blessed by the story, by the life of Job. Maybe Job walked through all of that so that millions of people could be blessed by that and encouraged by that. Because it is such an encouragement to read and to see God's working through that. And so here's the reality is that God is still present in the brokenness right there with 
Paul on the boat. Let's continue. Let's see, because there's more good news coming. Look at verse 27. When the 14th night has come, so for those of you that are keeping track, that's two weeks, right? 14th night had come. They were being driven across uh, the Adriatic Sea, and it was about midnight. The sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they found, took a sounding again and 15 fathoms, and then fearing that we might run on the rocks, they lay down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ships, you cannot be saved. So this time they chose to listen to Paul, good move. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food saying, today is the 14th day. You have continued in suspense without food taking, and have taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. This is the promise that God has given him. Not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Let's finish up the narrative just to see what happens here. Continue on, verse 39. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with, which, with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, and the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. And so the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered that those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land and the rest of the planks unrest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The reality is this. Here's what we see throughout this story is this, is that brokenness will be used by God for good. Brokenness will be used by God for good. See, I think what we see in the life of Paul and in his response to this is we see uh, a picture of him playing out the encouragement and the teaching that Jesus gave to his followers. You see, God promised that he would work through the difficult things that we encounter for his good. And I really struggled with even writing this point. You know, I debated, is it, is it brokenness can be used by God or is it will be used by God? And I believe this, I think the truth of scripture teaches that the brokenness that we encounter will be used by God, not can, that it will. You see, Jesus, and if you wanna turn there, you can look for yourselves. I just wanna say it to you as if you were hearing it spoken in a sermon like Jesus spoke in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or, nor about your body, what you will put on, is life not more than food or body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. He's a good dad. Are you not of more value than they? 
Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, I think in the midst of this, this is what we're seeing played out. Paul is saying, listen, it's been 14 days. For two weeks, we've been in this place. Which of you, which of you by being anxious and abstaining from food and, and kind of foregoing that has, has gotten us further, has made it more, you know, has bettered our situation? The answer is none. It's gotten none better from any of that. He says, we need to eat we need to be strengthened. We need to be blessed by what God has given us. And we need to trust his promises that we are going to arrive safely here. And here I see we get this, this awesome little picture in the midst of this. Notice this. It says, therefore, I urge you to take food. And he says, when he, had given, when he had said these things, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all and broke it and began to eat. What an incredible picture that Paul is illustrating for all to see. He's like, here he's on a ship in the midst of the storm. They don't know the outcome, and yet he's still thankful for the provision of food in the midst of it. And some of you can relate to this. Some of you have been in this spot where, where everything is kind of breaking up around you. Everything is not going well, yet in the midst of it that you're able to say, God, thank you for this provision and this blessing. Right? Right? I, mean, I was just speaking with a couple in the, in, the, in the lobby and they said the exact same thing. They're like, in the midst of this storm that we are in, God has been so faithful and is giving us just what we need. Notice what God gave him. He, he visited him through an angel. He sent an angel to encourage his heart. How many times has God sent somebody to you, has, has used someone to speak truth to your word? How many times have you opened up scripture and you heard from God exactly what you needed to hear? You see, God is with Paul and the ship in the midst of it. He's given him both his word to sustain him and he's given them food to sustain them. He's taking care of them right there in the middle of it. And notice, God cares even about the hairs of their head. He says, not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Now listen, if you had that kind of promise, if you had that guarantee, what kind of faith, what sort of things could you do if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that not even a hair on your head would perish? What could you do? He's calling them to faith and notice they respond. It says they were encouraged, they ate food. There was 276 people that were seeing played out in front of them, the goodness of God and his protection and his provision. I'm gonna kind of give a sneak peek to next week. We're gonna look at verse 28, but you wanna know some of the goodness that comes about from this brokenness? We said that brokenness will be used by God for good. Well, Paul spends, they would have never gotten to the place of Malta. But Paul and the people spend the next three months on the, on the island of Malta and there are people there, many people there that respond to God and the gospel. 
God uses this shipwreck and this storm to bring the gospel to a place that desperately needed to hear it. I mean, how many people there are in Malta? What generations were then affected by the gospel getting into that island and now cities? And it was for such a time as this that, that God used a storm and a shipwreck to bring the gospel to people that needed to hear it. Like God is working through and he's using this brokenness. See, here's a verse that I think we need to not just memorize, but we need to believe. It's Romans 8, 28. Do you know it? It says this, we'll put it on the screen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's quite a statement for God to say. That's bold. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things are good. The storm is not good. That sin committed against you is not good. That difficulty that you're experiencing is not good. The brokenness, the tragedy, the things that we see are not good. But what does it say? It says that God will use those things that are not good for his good. All things will be used by God for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I do think God allows us to experience the ramifications, the discipline of our actions. Some of us are experiencing storms that we, that our choices put us in, right? In some level, the, the storm that was experienced was a choice that was made. I mean, Paul said, hey, let's not sail. And they chose to sail anyways. And they experienced that. And we say all the time, I think one of the truths of scripture communicates is choose to sin, choose to suffer. See, God does not protect us from our willingness to walk away from his perfect plan, but yet he has called us into this place. And so sometimes the storms that we experience are of our choices. Unfortunately, though, sometimes the storms we experience are from the choices of others. I mean, Jesus was asked by his followers when they passed the man that was blind, you remember it? And he said, hey, why is this man blind? Is it his sin or the sin of his parents? And Jesus said, neither. It's like, to paraphrase, he's like, it's the result of this broken world. It's broken world being broken. That's why he's blind. Sometimes, sometimes it's the sin of others. Sometimes it's just the result of being in a broken world. But you can trust this, that God will use it for good. We know that those that love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What an amazing picture we have of that in the life of Joseph. Joseph, betrayed by his family. His very brothers sold him into slavery. Right? He spent years kind of working up and kind of earning the trust of the captain of the guard only to be falsely accused of making a move on his wife. He was imprisoned for years. He helped some of his fellow prisoners only to be forgotten. And it wasn't until decades later that Joseph came out of prison and was put in a position of authority and prominence and helped the nation go forward, ultimately saving his family because his family came to get food in the midst of a famine. And as they stood before it, Joseph was able to say these amazing words. You remember what he said? He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He uses even the sin committed against us, even the sin that we choose, God can still use that for good. Oh man, there's so much that we could unpack there, right? He took the greatest sin that's ever been committed. I mean, putting Jesus on the cross, could we acknowledge maybe killing the son of God is the worst sin that's ever been committed? If we're ranking sin, I think killing God is one of them. Yet the son of God put on the tree, the greatest good came about. 
That is the place that we receive forgiveness of sin. That is the place that redemption is found. That is what Jesus used to defeat Satan and sin and death. God uses all things for his good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so listen, church, I think like these men, I think the encouragement for us this morning, what I would say to you is this, is that take heart, have faith. We are in a storm, you are in a storm, but God is not far off. He is present in it and he is working in it. I wish, I wish I could tell you exactly how. I wish I could tell you the outcome. That would be super, super helpful as a pastor. If I just kind of knew, if God just kind of gave me a little insight and I could tell you exactly how it's going to work out, I don't have that for you. But I do have this. I know what I've seen God do in the lives of men and women throughout the pages of scripture. I do know what I've seen God do in the lives of faithful men and women and just the people I've experienced and the people that I've talked to. I can tell you stories of how I've seen the faithfulness of God and I know you have some of those too. You can look back and you can see how God has been faithful to Paul and he's been faithful to other men and women and he's been faithful to you. And so let's rest in that. Let's take God at his word. Let's believe that he's doing good things, that he's working in the hearts and lives around us and in our situations. And that if you find yourself here this morning in a storm, I wanna tell you, take heart because God is not far off. And if you're here this morning and you're not in a storm, there's probably one on the forecast. There's probably one coming right? And so get ready. Get ready when it comes that you're going to believe that God is going to use it and that he's working in it, that he's not far off. Let's believe and trust him. Because listen, we serve a good, good God and he is a good dad to his children. You see, unlike anyone else, God has experienced loss and pain and the difficulty as we have. God lost one of his children, right? He gave up his son on the cross. He knows what it's like to experience loss. Jesus experienced tragedy and betrayal and difficulty and abandonment and all of it. Jesus has suffered as we have suffered. He is not unable to relate to us. And so God joins us in our suffering, in our place. He never calls it good, but he says, listen, child, I'm gonna use it for good. Trust me believe in me, have faith in me. That is what we see right here in the life of Paul. What an incredible encouragement and needed truth for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And God, we can say with confidence that you are good. God, I know that for many, this is a heavy and hard subject. Lord, that we often try to move on and, and, and just ignore the pain that we've experienced or the difficulty that has come. Lord, even the tragedy that we might be in right now. God, the reality is, is that our world is broken. We thank you, God, that you work in the brokenness. God, that you are working in all things. There's not one thing, there's not one hair on anyone's head here today that is unnoticed by you. God, that you see it all. Lord, you're not sitting far off, unbothered by it, but God, you are present with us in it. You are offering us hope. God, you are offering us strength. You are offering your sustaining power. And so, Lord, we look to you for that. God, I pray that you would give us exactly what we need. God, I wanna pray for those this morning that are hurting. 
that feel helpless, God, that feel like you're far off, would you make yourself known to them? God, would you show them the sun? Would you show them the stars? Would you remind them that you are still here? God, you are the God of promises. You are the God who has been faithful. And so God, we rest in that. We trust in that. God, we thank you for who you are and the way that you have worked. God, meet with us now, we ask, in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.